Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 23rd of April, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. And we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border. Well, earlier in the week, we announced that uh, today was a special day for the UK Column, and we had an important message for our viewers and listeners. And that message is very simple. The UK Column is now under attack like never before. It's very clear to us that there is a determined effort by principally the British government to bring down the UK column and to stop our accurate and truthful broadcasts. And uh, we can report that over the last couple of weeks, aside from being hacked, we've had material taken down on key streaming channels, which we'll be talking about now. Um, but for our audience, and we will come into this a little bit later, we're going to say now is the time when we need your support to help us grow in face of this pernicious censorship by the British government. Where do yes. we go, Mike? Well, well, I mean, obviously everybody knows, well, most people know, I think, by now that we're not streaming on uh, YouTube at the moment because we're serving a one-week ban, which is due to end at some point today. Uh, but... Uh, Earlier in the week, we received this from Vimeo, uh, which said that a Vimeo moderator had marked our account for review for the following reasons. Vimeo does not allow videos that convey false or misleading health-related information. And so it goes on. And uh, they warn us that we have to uh, get on the channel, decide which of our content is in breach of their terms. Uh, we've got one week to do that, which I think expires on Monday. Uh, and after that, if we haven't done what they want us to do, they will be shutting our channel down. If they say failure to do so will result in the termination of your account. Now, just by coincidence, and uh, people may have a view on whether that's coincidence or not, uh, the video that got us uh, uh, temporarily banned from uh, YouTube was this one, The Harsh Reality of Vaccine Adverse Effects. And that indeed was a video that was taken off the Vimeo channel as well, despite the fact that it was marked as private. Uh, and despite the fact that the Vimeo uh, video was not embedded on any websites yet. Uh, so whoever made the complaint about it, and we believe that somebody did, uh, seems to have managed to uh, bypass the, the fact that the video was not public. So I thought that was quite interesting. Now, uh, how do we get here is the, is the question. And uh, so let's uh, just jump back to 2014 and David Cameron's speech to the UN General Assembly. Have a listen to this. We know this worldview, the peddling of lies, that 9-11 was somehow a Jewish plot or that the 7-7 London attacks were staged. The idea that Muslims are persecuted all over the world as a deliberate act of Western policy. The concept of an inevitable clash of civilizations. We must be clear. To defeat the ideology of extremism, we need to deal with all forms of extremism, not just violent extremism. For governments, there are some obvious ways we can do this. We must ban preachers of hate from coming to our countries. We must prescribe organizations that incite terrorism against people at home and abroad. We must work together to take down illegal online material like the recent videos of ISIL murdering hostages. And we must stop the so-called non-violent extremists from inciting hatred and intolerance in our schools, our universities, and yes, even our prisons. Of course, some will argue 
that this is not compatible with free speech and intellectual inquiry. But I ask you, would we sit back and allow right-wing extremists, Nazis or Ku Klux Klansmen to recruit on our university campuses? No. So that was him in 2014, and he introduced the idea of uh, nonviolent extremism. Um, nothing much happened then for a few years, uh, three years in fact. Um, and, uh, but then this happened, Amber Rudd to tell tech firms do more to combat terrorism. So the problem with uh, stuff on the internet, the need for regulation on the internet was being dressed in the uh, guise of combating terrorism at that time. Um, so uh, it was all about the war on terror. The tech companies were brought in to see Amber Rudd uh, and then they published an open letter following a meeting with her. That was Microsoft, Twitter, Facebook and Google were all signatories to that. They said, we share the government's commitment to ensuring terrorists do not have a voice online. Uh, and then you've got to ask the question, was anything done about it? And of course, nothing was done because terrorists continued to share their content, particularly from Syria online without any problem whatsoever. And in fact, some would argue with the support of the British government. Uh, then one month later, uh, Damien Collins, uh, from the, he was the chair at the time of the Culture Media Support Select Committee, um, really was saying that the narrative needed to change to news. It wasn't about terrorism, it was about news now. So the danger is for many people, he said, the main source of news is Facebook. And if the news they get on Facebook is mostly fake news, uh, they could be voting based on lies. Uh, so that was uh, a, a slight change in direction. Then in June, uh, there were threats from the government. Uh, and uh, so Theresa May saying that she was going to include exploring creating a legal liability for tech companies if they fail to take the necessary action to remove unacceptable content. Not clear what unacceptable content is or was at that time. Well, I think we can have a guess that it's any content that dares to challenge the government or the official line. Uh, uh, absolutely. So uh, this, uh, they then, the four signatories to that open letter set up what they described as the Global Internet Forum to Counter Terrorism. Um, and uh, this, of course, uh, was the beginnings of the censorship agenda. Uh, but then the, the Soros network started getting more and more involved. So here's the Pointer Institute uh, setting up fact-checking network. We started to see the rise of the fact-checkers. So the Pointer uh, Institute for Media Studies, openly funded by the Open Society Foundations. Um, and uh, of course, uh, at the same time, Twitter decided to ban ads from RT and Sputnik. Uh, but it didn't end there because uh, uh, Eric Schmidt said that Google were going to uh, de-rank uh, RT and Sputnik, but others as well. Um, then we started seeing the idea of trust. This was the trust project uh, set up by the McCuller Center for Applied Ethics. Uh, it's a consortium of top news companies, top news companies, uh, which uh, we're going to decide what's trustworthy and what wasn't. Uh, and then in January 2018, Theresa May announced internet regulation uh, at Davos in, uh, in the annual Davos World Economic Forum meeting. Uh, and uh, she said that uh, that week, a survey in the UK had found that seven out of 10 people believe that social media companies don't do enough to stop illegal or unethical behavior on their platforms, uh, and that they don't do enough to prevent the sharing of extremist content or to prevent bullying. But of course, in the meantime, uh, the mainstream press and media getting under pressure. And so Matt Hancock uh, said that they needed to the government needed to take action to safeguard the lifeblood of our democratic discourse and challenge the, the, and tackle the challenges the media faces 
uh, and uh, this is all about advertising and so on. Uh, Theresa May came back from Davos and set up the rapid response unit within the cabinet office, which is the so-called fake news unit. Uh, and uh, this rapid response unit was given initially six months funding. That funding was made permanent later on. Uh, and it brought together a team of analysts, data scientists, media and digital experts armed with cutting edge software to work around the clock to monitor online breaking news stories and social media discussions uh, and to get involved in those discussions and attempt to steer the narrative. That's what the rapid response unit within the cabinet office is all about. Uh, Facebook then decided that they needed to partner with the Atlantic Council. Uh, and uh, of course, that was to fight election propaganda. Uh, and then later on in June, I think of 20, uh, 2017, uh, Theresa May announced the rapid response mechanism. Not the same as the rapid response unit. The rapid response unit is to deal with fake news on social media. They say the rapid response mechanism was a G7 initiative, which is about producing global narratives, global narratives about the Russians, global narratives about COVID-19, global narratives about disinformation and tackling disinformation. And then, of course, we saw uh, the likes of Full Fact, who are going to feature later in this program, uh, fighting misinformation on behalf of Facebook, apparently, allegedly. Uh, then, as 2018 moved along, uh, we started, we got the Cairn Cross Review, which was all about underpinning a sustainable future for journalism. Uh, and they were very keen to make sure that journalism was properly funded. And of course, under COVID, we've seen that it absolutely has been properly funded because government has been pumping millions of pounds into the mainstream press in order to run their advertising campaigns and pursue a specific narrative. And then towards the end of 2018, uh, we saw the online harms white paper come out. Government unveils tough new me measures to ensure the UK is the safest place in the world to be online. Uh, and if the narrative had changed from terrorism, although terrorism is mentioned, to, child, uh, to protecting children, child protection. Um, that was the sort of veneer over the top of what this was, but actually it's about online disinformation. This is the key thing that they want to tackle. Uh, and uh, well, how were they gonna do that? Well, one thing that they have subsequently announced since the white paper came out was that Ofcom would take responsibility for online regulation. Uh, and it would do so, first of all, with fines. Uh, and uh, the fines are pretty huge. Uh, I think it's up to 10% of your uh, global turnover if you're uh, a big corporation or up to 18 million pounds if, uh, if that amount is uh, bigger. Um, and uh, the other thing that they uh, are doing via the online harms legislation is, uh, it hasn't been announced yet formally, but the white paper describes it. They will put the BBC with their four billion pound annual budget uh, to on an equal footing with the UK column in fact, they will put the BBC on an equal footing with individuals who are posting to YouTube or other social media. Uh, we will all have to abide by uh, their regulation. And the really key damaging part of this, I think, is that anybody who is allowing anybody to comment on a website, anybody that's running a forum, uh, will be subject to this regulation. Um, and it doesn't matter what size of business you have. You can be an individual or you can be the BBC. You will be equal. We've seen this before. We saw this exact policy uh, with respect to the authority for television on demand. Now, many people watching this program have only come across the UK column in the last 12 months. So I thought it would be worthwhile just to mention what this was about. 
This was the last time that uh, the authorities in the UK had a go at the UK column back in 2014. Uh, and we received a letter from the Authority for Television on Demand, which was a, a privately owned subsidiary of uh, Ofcom, telling us that we needed to be regulated if we were going to post uh, videos to YouTube um, and accusing us of being a... Too TV-like. Uh, well, absolutely <laughs> accusing us of being too television-like. So again, they were putting us on a par with the BBC to a certain degree, and they were also threatening fines, uh, large fines, fines which we certainly could not have afforded. Um, and uh, so we were given a deadline to uh, submit to their regulation. We refused, uh, and we dealt with that by shutting down our YouTube channel for a year. Uh, we did some other things as well, but that was the first step to do, to take away their reason for reg regulating us. It didn't stop us putting the content out. We found other ways to do that, as we will do this time as well. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we did was uh, we took the lid off Advod as an organization and made a bit of fun of them. So the first time, because we'd been too television-like, we broadcast from my car. Uh, the second time we broadcast from the office kitchen with a Bonio box. Which had a transmitter in. Yes. That was the key thing. Yes, that had a transmitter. That was, that was wireless. Yeah. And the third thing we did was to, was to broadcast from my back garden. Uh, and uh, yes, that didn't go down too well. It didn't go down too well with the authorities. What happened was that as soon as uh, the YouTube channel was shut down, uh, a massive telephone uh, many, many people phoned Atfod to find out what was going on because this actually affected many people beyond the UK column. This was exactly the same narrative. They were attempting to regulate the individual in their uh, living room, in their bedroom, wherever they're running their YouTube channel from, uh, and put them on a par with the BBC. So this got a large amount of uh, activity from people. They phoned Atfod. They shut, effectively shut down Atfod's uh, telephone network for three or four days. Atford was forced to make a, a statement about their treatment of the UK column. And uh, in the not too distant future following that, Ofcom shut Atford down and took over uh, video on demand regulation, uh, back, took that back into Ofcom itself. Um, and uh, so Atford ceased to exist at that point. We just add to that, Mike, and of course, UK column investigation into Ofcom itself reveals an unhealthy in bedness that people serving on the Ofcom board are also drawing uh, BBC pensions or they're married to partners drawing those pensions. And once we started to ask the key questions uh, about the uh, uh, unsavoury relationship between Ofcom and the BBC, Ofcom didn't want to talk to us anymore. Um, so, David, maybe we could say welcome to the programme. Um, just give us your thoughts on that brief run through of how we've got to this point. Uh, how we dealt with it the last time and how we might deal with it this time. A fascinating summary there, Mike. Um, I, I uh, particularly like the point about the rapid response mechanism being global. Uh, these are global narratives. We've been seeing these all across the world. Uh, we are going to build back better. All across the world, from Scotland, uh, with a tartan tinge with the SMP logo on it, uh, right the way through to the United States of America, we've been told to roll up our sleeves for the vaccine uh, with hints of World War II and we're all in it together and we're going to work hard and all of this sort of thing. This is what it's alluding to. 
Uh, someone's come up with this in some think tank, maybe in New York, and it's all over the planet. The same words, the same images. Uh, fascinating. Uh, and one other thing, ATVOD, if you remember, the, the current uh, legislation and, and, and regulation is uh, concentrating, or, or is, is the excuse, the reason is, well, we must, we must, we must uh, do something about terrorism. Um, the terrorists are recruiting online, we must fight terror. And then all of a sudden, they're regulating what you say and what you think. Uh, at VOD, it was pornography. This was in the days before uh, pornography was being promoted in Scottish schools to Scottish school children by John Swinney, uh, the, the, the Minister of Education. Uh, but in those days, uh, at VOD was saying, well, pornography is a bad thing and we must regulate pornography to make sure presumably it's, well, regulated pornography. Anyway, they, but they wanted to regulate it. And the idea was pornography is harmful. We must protect people. From the, from the harmful online pornographers. And then all of a sudden, uh, that became, we must protect people from thinking uh, with just one uh, sweeping uh, move um, from, from uh, their, their uh, initial justification to their real intent. Um, and uh, the other thing uh, that I'd just like to point out, we've got a, a, a episode 10, I think, of Magic Money Tree coming up, which is all about regulation. Regulation is always about protecting the big established players, the corporate players, from the public uh, and from competition. Um, and they don't like the competition. I suspect the BBC are not liking the competition we're providing and many other uh, small channels uh, based on the internet are providing because their audience is, of course, dwindling fast. That, that's absolutely true, um, David. While you were speaking there, I was just thinking as a sort of summary of material that we've covered that we know has clearly upset the establishment. Much of uh, what we've broadcast and analysis over Syria uh, has certainly been a thorn in their side. Uh, we've also uh, broadcast a lot about child abuse and the cover-up of child abuse in the United Kingdom by the government itself. We've talked about corruption in Parliament. Uh, we've talked about the deep state, the integrity initiative, showing how there was now effectively a criminal uh, collaboration between the so-called intelligence and security services and the uh, darker heart of the government. But it is fascinating that what has really triggered this latest, very, very measured, calculated uh, attempt to censor the UK column is that we have shown the UK government's own statistics on vaccine adverse effects. We haven't made the statistics up. We haven't adulterated them in any way. We've taken the raw statistics from the MHRA website, and we have shown that the UK population should be very concerned about vaccine adverse effects. And there is no doubt that this is the subject which has triggered some quite sophisticating hacking of UK column systems, but also this coordinated response, which Mike has just described between um, YouTube and Vimeo. And we, we're pretty sure there's more to come. So just, just, uh, just on that, just I noticed a, a comment in the chat box earlier. I just want to clarify the Vimeo takedown notice. Um, the, the video that caused the, the, us to be switched off from YouTube hadn't been on our, our Vimeo channel. The instant it went up, that's when the, uh, that's when the takedown notice from, from Vimeo came along as well. That was not a coincidence. Just wanted to make that point. Yes, and let's say but perhaps we've got um, 
new members of the audience who've joined us today. The video that was taken down was the personal testimony of a lady describing what happened to her husband after he took uh, a vaccine. First of all, he had trouble walking. This developed into paralysis so that he couldn't walk and it ultimately ended up with him in intensive care. And we have to uh, obviously wait for uh, a response from the uh, family the concerned. We, we can't push, that's inappropriate to do. But it was clear that this gentleman was in very, very serious condition in intensive care. And it was also a fact that the diagnosis while he was in that condition was that he was suffering from vaccine adverse effects. So the testimony, the truthful testimony of a lady about what happened to her husband on receiving a vaccine is censored by the government. And of course, if they want to censor one person speaking out about vaccine adverse effects, there's obviously a reason they're so frightened. And later in this news, we'll be showing, I think, why the government is so frightened. David. Yes, this, this was also uh, picked up across what you might term the mainstream because there was a website, Conservative Woman, um, which is a, 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 a socially conservative, um, pro-conservative um, party uh, blog, a very good blog, um, and um, with, with excellent articles and well-read and re read, I suspect, by the government establishment. They picked up this story. They did a full transcript of the interview and um, a link back to our site. And uh, that seemed to be, that also coincided with the, with the takedown. So as soon as it, was, as it was reaching what you might term Middle England, uh, there was a panic and there was an attack. Yes. Yes. So I was just going to come in here and say that we've, we've already got people asking in our chat box, what can they do to support the UK column? And I think that uh, this is a very good time to address some of those things. Of course, support from the UK column in viewing and taking and spreading the information that we're putting out, checking that information first, taking it and spreading it is very important. But we also need people now to really show their support for the UK column. We have many uh, people who are su subscribing to the UK column. So that is giving us the base from which we, the financial base from which we can work. Uh, but we've also got to say that if we see 100,000 viewers or nearly on YouTube, are those viewers actually supporting the UK column? Because if they're simply viewing the material but not supporting us in, in a hard sense, then um, we need that support. So what would we like people to do if you're watching the UK column? We're going to ask you to step up and subscribe to the UK column because this gives us the wherewithal to do the things which we now need to do, which is one, protect ourselves against this clear effort to censor us. Uh, but also in the face of that happening, we want to grow the UK column. It's clear that we're going to need uh, more capacity in the column. We're going to need more technical ability, and this can only be done with your financial support. So I'm going to really push today that it is not enough to be viewing the UK column as a comforter, as a blanket to hold on to while these events unfold. If you want to work to stopping the events and you see UK column as one of the, the key means of, of tackling that, then you need to come on board. David. 
Yes, and uh, the, the, the support we get from uh, those who have sub subscribed is, is, is vast, uh, and it goes beyond the financial support. Uh, the, the, the subscription base invo involves themselves in a very active conversation on the website. This produces a great many ideas. It produces a vast amount of information and discussion and analysis. Uh, some of the analysis that we get in uh, and, and items of news that are spotted by, uh, by our viewers and listeners uh, it is, has been wonderful and has, and has put us on to very major stories on numerous occasions. And then there's the, the circulation of the, of the output, the fact that uh, when we put something like this, this testimony, this, this, this first-person testimony from the woman whose husband is, is in the ICU, um, that's vital. It, people need to know. And that's been spread around uh, social media. It's been spread on Facebook. It's been spread across Twitter on all these sorts of sites. And that's vital too, because there is an attack on all forms of free speech and particularly forms of free speech concerning vaccine injury just now. We've seen several enormous um, Facebook groups with tens of thousands or, or hundreds of thousands of members discussing their experience of vaccine injury. And these, these groups have been taken out. They, they completely closed down. So all of that discussion, all of that information, all of that pooling of knowledge is wiped out. In order to keep this going, we must become a much more decentralized network. And that means everyone stepping up and doing a bit and circulating the information and talking to your friends and putting it out there, putting on Twitter, putting on Facebook, putting it on whatever social network you're on so that the information's out there and the discussions are happening and, and we cannot be closed down. And I just add into that, David, yes, we, we, have, we have many people who are helping the column on a daily basis. And I know some of, some of the people who help us regularly were up well, well before six o'clock today. Some of them are working very late into the night in order to help us produce what we do. So we need to recognise those uh, people, which we absolutely do. Some of the comment in the chat box at the moment is that people already paying subscriptions would be willing to pay more. And that is a very lovely offer. Um, but I'm going to say it misses the point because the point about producing the real output from the UK column is about numbers. And the numbers of people that are there viewing the column or listening to the column, they are the people that need to come in and to support if they are not. So it is not the case that a small number of people should be giving a lot. It's the case that if we are reaching very large numbers of people, which we know we are, those people need to step up to the plate because otherwise the information is going out, but it's not being acted upon. So I don't know how to put this across more strongly. If, if you're a viewer or a listener to UK Column and you haven't yet decided to subscribe, we need you to subscribe and we need you to encourage all the other people who are listening without a subscription to su subscribe as well. And it's the numbers that will give the UK column the power to do what we need to do to face this really quite vicious attack by the British government. Uh, so if you'd like to support us, uh, then head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options there. And as David is saying, also share 
the material that you find on the various. Now, we are live streaming for the first time on Odyssey today. Uh, a few people in the chat box have noticed that, so well done to, to those. Uh, this is a test stream today to see how it goes. Uh, and uh, well, maybe we'll be doing that uh, much more often in the coming days and months. Well, there's a number of, of options being tried at the moment, but uh, I'm going to keep stressing that to stay in the game and expand, we don't want to stay in the game and be cowering in the corner. We want to stay in the game and get stronger. We can do that if the viewers assist. So what are our viewers doing? Well, this sort of thing, which is, I think, very important. So somebody highlighted this advert that they'd seen, uh, which was, um, this is Twitter. Um, so it's a, um, a group, I'm sure you're aware, ASOS is an online clothes shop. Well, I wasn't aware at all, but what they were pointing out, and I think it's true, is the advert. When you have the vaccine at 12 and brunch with the girls at two, and then there's a very glamorous young lady. But what uh, the uh, viewer was pointing out was that this particular ASOS clothes shop targets uh, very much the younger age group. So we've got a totally unsubstantiated pro-vaccine message targeted at young girls. Uh, just want to uh, encourage people to look out for some interesting UK column reports that are going to be released shortly. So this one is on risks posed by masks and COVID-19 policy uh, to children and teenagers in schools as head teachers submit to fear. Um, this is a very interesting uh, interview with a mother of two children in school. And really it goes back to back with this one, which is a psychotherapist who's doing a lot of work with children, especially children from troubled families warning of the dangers of those lockdown policies on the mental health of those children. So look out for these two. And uh, what else have we got here? Well, this was also reported into us. Somebody saying, I wasn't aware that Sky News now has a daily climate show. So we can, we can see the propaganda is going to start on a daily basis. And uh, I think that takes us into activity in Dartmouth. Mark. Yeah, it's absolutely disgraceful activity in Dartmouth. Uh, people putting UK column stickers, they, I don't know where they got them from, uh, all over the place, uh, including on the main sign in the Dartmouth village itself. Uh, also looks like at the, at the riverside here, uh, ukcolumn.org, Plymouth-based news channel, um, stickers all over the place. Thank you very much to the person who sent me those photographs. Um, but we couldn't condone such oh, behaviour. We certainly could not. I mean, it's disgraceful. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Where does that take us? Well, it takes us to the subject of Gordon Brown. I'm sure many of the viewers and listeners for UK Column would have noticed that uh, after many years of silence, mainly by Gordon Brown, but a little bit by Tony Blair, those two figures have suddenly come to the fore. And one of our viewers flagged up this uh, ITV interview with Gordon Brown. Um, I think this is from early this morning, uh, where he's talking about uh, what he wants. Let's have a listen to the clip. Charlotte, thanks very much indeed. And uh, we can put those to Gordon Brown and to the government minister, uh, Caroline Dynage, that you have on the show a little bit later on. But we're talking to Gordon Brown now because, as we've seen, uh, India struggles to cope with a deadly second wave of COVID infections with close to 60 million cases and countries across the world scramble to get their populations vaccinated. It's now been claimed that richer countries are utterly failing in their responsibility to contribute to the global effort 
needed to defeat the pandemic. Yeah, the COVAX scheme was set to, up to, to help deliver vaccinations to poorer countries, but as yet has only received around a fifth of the vaccine orders it has agreed with producers. Uh, Gordon Brown, as we can see, is with us. Uh, and you're calling, uh, Gordon Brown, on the leading G7 nations to do more to help. They're, they're just not stepping up in your eyes. Yeah, I want everybody to be vaccinated here. Uh, and this is not at the cost of everybody in Britain getting vaccinated where they need it. But we are in a race against time. You know, there was 900,000 new cases yesterday. Uh, it could be over a million today. India's the worst, but you've got Brazil, you've got Mexico, you've got Peru. And then you've got this danger. It's going to come back into our country through it spreading through Africa, the Middle East, and then back to Britain. And then we've got mutations, and then even the vaccinated will be threatened. So we're in a race against time. And I want the richest countries, uh, America, Britain, the European countries, to make sure that we can put the money up to vaccinate the rest of the world. Because it will pay in better economies, because growth will happen if we're free of the pandemic, and therefore we will be able to repay ourselves many times over. But it's also moral. We, we, we can't allow one part of the world to be vaccinated and forget about the rest and leave them angry because they've never had the chance. Well, Mike, that was a truly amazing clip. I hope our viewers and listeners picked up on what he said because he used the I word, of course, twice that he wants uh, the vaccinations to happen. He wants India to be vaccinated. We've got to be vaccinated. Otherwise, even though we're vaccinated, COVID is going to go right around the world and come back and attack us again. But he wants us vaccinated and he wants us vaccinated because if we're vaccinated, that's going to support economies and uh, that's going to make more money. And while well, he tags on the end the question of morality. So I found this a particularly unpleasant clip from Gordon Brown. He's obviously been dragged out of his bath chair in order to stand in front of the cameras. And uh, he's dictating again. Uh, what he believes should happen. So India being targeted by the billion pound profits from uh, Pfizer and the other vaccine companies, Gordon Brown happy to push that because of course he knows that he can screw more money out of people in the economy if he does it. But I wondered if our eagle-eyed viewers noticed what I noticed in the clip. So let's just bring on this still of Gordon Brown talking. And I was amazed very early this morning to see that at the top, he was in the location of North Queensferry. Uh, now, David, you're smiling on screen uh, because you know what's coming next. But Gordon Brown is standing in North Queensferry uh, saying that he wants the world vaccinated and certainly wants the uh, Indian uh, nation vaccinated. But of course, he's late in the game because it was your good self that gave the Queensferry speech back on the 7th of March 2021. And I just thought it would be excellent to um, contrast Gordon Brown's appalling uh, speech there with his I demand, I demand that people are vaccinated, with a little clip from your own video where you gave your original speech at Queensferry. So, ladies and gentlemen, in closing, I wish to say this. You are not equal. You are unique and beautiful human beings. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your lives and your decisions matter. There is no such thing as equality. If we are fooled into believing this lie, 
that error will erode every good thing. For how can light be equal to darkness? And how can we discern the difference if we believe them to be the same? The state is lying to you. Do not believe them. As Solzhenitsyn said, live not by lies. And also, as Lou Rockwell said, never miss an opportunity for telling the truth. I have a few truths I wish to tell you today. Most science writing is false. Most politicians are irrelevant. Taxation is theft. The Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service is organised crime. The Word of God is government of the people, by the people and for the people. And Jesus Christ is our judge. If you have truths you want to share, drop me a line, david at ukcolumn.org, and we'll read them out on UK Column News Extra and discuss them with Brian and Mike and the team. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you all. So I'm sure that our viewers will instantly pick up on the uh, very clear difference in quality and morality of the two speeches between Gordon Brown and David Scott. David, before I just move on with some detailed information, which I think we need to share on the back of what Gordon Brown said, uh, just explain a little bit of, of the geography there, because, of course, uh, Gordon Brown was north, you were south. Yes, I was at South Queen's Ferry looking across the Forth and the hill you could see in the background uh, beyond the Forth Bridge, the magnificent triumph of uh, Victorian engineering that it is, uh, that was North Queen's Ferry. So uh, up there, somewhere in those hills, uh, was Gordon Brown, one must assume. And um, I didn't know that when I was making the speech, but there we go. Yeah, clearly, clearly, though, you moved on to the turf of Queen's Ferry and Gordon was dragged out of his bath chair, as I say, in order to stand up and give his piece. Was it just a coincidence, do you think, that uh, Gordon Brown had to get the Queen's Ferry label above his head? Was that coincidence? I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't like to speculate. Uh, it, it was, I'm glad you raised it, though, because it was striking, because the differences between individual choices, individual responsibility, um, and an individual autonomy for our own lives, and um, a, a policy of mass vaccination via mass indoctrination. No one's trying to persuade anyone of any facts. This is, uh, this is only a policy con concerning the, the, the millions of people. And you know what uh, Stalin said, uh, the death of one person is a tragedy, the death of millions, a statistic. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't agree with Gordon Brown's uh, political ambitions or his policy to try and vaccinate the world. But where I do sympathise with him is that over the years he's had some serious problems with his eyes. Isn't it remarkable then that in giving a speech about vaccine, he simply forgets to inform the UK public and indeed the Indian public of what the vaccine risks are to people's eyes. So here is the MHRA uh, data. Um, this is the current data. If you go to the website today for MHRA yellow card 
uh, vaccine adverse effects. This is the data you can find. I've just selected some of the pages on eye disorders following vaccines. Uh, there's more here. Um, we can come over to this, which is the summary page, and this is for Pfizer uh, vaccine. And these are the statistics that you need to note down at the bottom. And it's this total adverse reactions with eye, di uh, eye disorders, 2,219 and 31 people becoming blind as a result of having the vaccine. But Gordon Brown doesn't want to warn people in UK about that, despite the fact that he knows only too well what a severe disability that would be. And if we look at the overall statistics for Pfizer, so total reactions for Pfizer vaccine, uh, we're into big numbers, 143,034 adverse reaction and 334 deaths that are not being reported on any other mainstream news channels. They are simply censoring these figures. And if we look at AstraZeneca, uh, this is one of the key pages. The statistics here are even more astonishing uh, because we've got 124 people blind as a result of taking a vaccine and 7,814 with eye disorders of all sorts of, uh, of types. And if we look at the AstraZeneca uh, statistics overall, uh, we've got a massive 548,000 uh, 495 adverse reactions and 627 deaths. So we're up to nearly a thousand deaths or close to a thousand deaths with not a squeak in the media. And uh, what about the other uh, vaccines, Mike? I believe you had a look this morning to see what was well, being said. Somebody tipped me off to the fact that uh, the latest statistics now include a spreadsheet for Moderna. Uh, but unfortunately, when you click on that link, uh, it takes you to a page that requires a login. So whether that's a mistake or whether they don't want that to be uh, generally uh, distributed just yet, I don't know. But uh, they certainly require a login in order to see that uh, particular PDF file. They do. Uh, well, here's a quick glimpse of what the mainstream media is up to. So this is uh, ITV. This was uh, pointed out to us. So we've got a report on the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, but what came on the ticker tape at the bottom of the screen was this. I'll bring it up on the top of your screen. Data shows the risk of blood clot after AstraZeneca jab has doubled in a fortnight. Now, that is not being discussed as a main headline. It's dribbled across the, the screen as if it was not important. How does the Telegraph deal with this? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure the significance of a COVID marshal. Uh, in a picture on blood, um, blood clot risks, but the headline from the Telegraph is AstraZeneca blood clot risk doubles, data show, but benefits still outweigh the risks. This is an outrageous statement because, of course, the risks have not been properly investigated by the MHRA, let alone the Telegraph. So this is devious stuff, and I think you've got more on this, David. Well, yes, I, this is uh, a, a piece from the Daily Mail here. Um, and this is a, a, a woman in Glasgow who uh, received the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine and has been left in a, in a, terri a terrible, pitiable condition. Uh, you see here this, this uh, horrendous photograph of, of the lady's legs uh, covered in blood clots. Um, and she's been left wheelchair bound because the blood clots are so painful and they're on the soles of her feet, she's unable to walk. 
Um, and um, she's a young woman of 34 and a mother, and this is one of the reactions. So all of the, the PR we hear, oh, it's just a, it's just a, a minor reaction, a sore arm or a headache, it's really nothing. This is, this is not true. Um, but we have Tony Blair to the rescue, because whenever you need to explain the doubling of a blood clot level uh, in the population due to government action, and you need to justify this, you want to roll out Tony Blair. Um, so here we have him um, being interviewed, uh, and again under the, under the headline, AstraZeneca vaccine reports of blood clots double in weeks, but quote, benefits outweigh the risks. And uh, uh, Tony was, was very eloquent on this, and he, he was uh, referring to the AstraZeneca vaccine in glowing terms. He said, it really matters if the credibility of one of the great vaccines we are going to use is undermined in this way. So there you have Tony's view on it. Uh, no, no discussion of adverse reactions, no discussion of the risks that people are running, um, no information to allow people to make an informed choice. Uh, David, to have both of these two men active again, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair, is just such a gross insult on the people of the United Kingdom. They should be quietly put to bed, possibly vaccinated, I don't know. Um, but David, uh, that takes us to uh, a testimony from a nurse. Yes, th this is a, an interview that uh, I did a few days ago with a, a nurse until very recently uh, in the NHS, Lisa Brackenridge. Uh, this premieres tonight uh, on uh, Northern Exposure, and there'll be a link in the UK column website as well. Uh, the premiere of the full interview is at 8pm tonight, uh, so hopefully people will join us for that. Uh, as, as is the case with all the nurses, we've been interviewing uh, her care, her professionalism, uh, and the degree of responsibility uh, that she brought to the job shone through during this interview. We have a little clip that uh, struck both Brian and I as particularly memorable. One of my co colleagues, um, uh, we, had, we, we had a patient who had suffered a very severe trauma, was in ITU, had uh, multiple brain injuries, spinal fractures, many fractures, internal injuries, extremely ill, now she had been at a, a house party and this was in during lockdown. And I happened to say to my colleague, have you visited, you know, did, did you see patient X today? And her response was, uh, yeah. And I said, oh, how, 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 is, how is she today? I couldn't care less. She got everything she deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Dear me. Yeah. Oh, dear. So that that really shut me up. I, I was, you know, I thought, okay, I, I think I know what I'm dealing with here now. I need to, um, yeah, I need to be careful what I'm saying. And there we, we, we see, um, uh, we're going to this further length in the interview, the, the culture of fear, of control, and of um, obedience to the narrative that is um, permeating the NHS, particularly at higher management levels, is very striking. And nurses all across the service are looking at this and are speaking out or resigning or retiring or perhaps all three. 
um, and they're doing this because they feel it's essential. They feel that the, the, the career that they have loved is being destroyed because the very foundational principles on which it is based are being swept away by regulation, by rules, and by an uncaring and cruel um, agenda. And, uh, David, I think we have to add to that applied psychology as well, because many of the mainly nurses that are coming forward to talk to the UK column are telling us that the behaviour of some of their colleagues is unrecognisable. They are openly saying that they, they appear mesmerised or brainwashed. And of course, what, what has been unleashed inside the NHS is the government. This is Boris Johnson, the Cameron government, Boris Johnson, conservative government's applied behavioural psychology, which is the malicious use of political psychology in order to get a political agenda through. So in that interview, which is extremely powerful, uh, this uh, particular nurse is also talking about uh, seeing effectively colleagues behave in a way that is not normal. Now, the next bit of interview we have is from the United States. It's a, it's a human rights attorney uh, called Lee Dundas, beautiful Scottish name, uh, although uh, she describes some of her ethnic background, uh, which has led to her fighting this um, with such passion, uh, which is, is um, coming from uh, Central Europe, and the experience of her family has informed many of her decisions uh, concerning uh, the COVID policy rollout. Um, she's time limited, it's a three minute talk and uh, she knows she's going to get cut off. So initially it's quite rapid fire as she tries to get through all the information, but stick with it, it's very memorable. Lee Dundas, human rights attorney. Late last week, I am informed a meeting occurred between Orange County Health Officer Dr. Clayton Shaw and Orange County Board of Education Superintendent Al Mahars, during which time they apparently tried to find a way to, quote, sidestep and entirely remove informed parental consent for the COVID vaccine and also turn Orange County school campuses into vaccination centers. The COVID-19 vaccine is an experimental medical protocol authorized under the Emergency Use Authorization Act. And as such, you cannot mandate it for anyone, nor can you sidestep informed consent. There is a reason that kids cannot smoke, drive, drink, have sex, vote, or die for this country. And it is because the law says they lack the capacity to understand those decisions. And that applies here more than ever. Hear me loud and hear me well. We will not be morphing our school campuses into COVID vaccine centers for delivery of an experimental medical protocol that killed every damned ferret in the last animal study they did until such time they had to abandon that study. And then, and then they didn't even do the study this time around because we are the study. The last time humans launched a plan like this to conduct experimental medical protocols on vulnerable populations was in Joseph Mengele's direction. He was an MD known as the, the angel of death. Okay, And he was part of the SS, and in 1943, he was assigned to Auschwitz, where he saw an opportunity to conduct gene research, quote, focused primarily on children with no regard for the health or safety of the victims. This is off the internet. You can Google it. You know what else is gene research? Experimental COVID vaccines with the trans gene inside of it. If you don't believe me, go pull the EUA application for the J&J &J shot. I come from a long line of Eastern Europeans, Hungarians, and Romanian groups, groups that fled the persecution of the Red Terror Communist death squads in the early 1900s, and those of us who didn't make it to America ended up facing the Nazi death squads in the lesser-known Holocaust that was the Romani Holocaust. There is a reason my daughter is named Katya. 
Her Romani great-grandmother was Katerina Choma, and I, for one, have not forgotten the lessons of our history. The Third Reich did not end with experiments on children, nor when those children died. The Third Reich ended! In 1946, when we put the doctors who committed these human experiments on trial in Nuremberg, and then we put them to death, it ended with the adoption of the Nuremberg Code, so we would never repeat the sins of history. And it states, and I quote, the voluntary consent of this human subject is absolutely essential. Dr. Chow and Dr. Maharish, you are hereby on notice. Last week, you appear, appear to have knowingly hatched a plan to sidestep and or violate international, federal, and state law, not just the Nuremberg informed consent language, but also the black letter law of the EUA, as well as California state law, which punishes, and I quote, the willful failure to obtain a subject's informed consent by imprisonment in county jail for one year or the imposition of a $50,000 fine or both. Through the planned insertion of experimental gene-altering protocols onto the very children, you were elected and charged with protecting. And tonight we are asking the Board of Education for an immediate letter of censure to these individuals. And if they don't resign, for an immediate notice of termination. And that letter also needs to go to the professional boards because they have no business being in these positions. So help me God, the people of Orange County will hold this policy to account. Wasn't that magnificent? David, a huge, huge amount of passion. Let's add to it the fact that, of course, what she's saying about the vaccines being uh, experimental is absolutely true. This is why they have the black triangle designator, which we've talked about on the UK column, but was fully there on the MHRA web pages. This is a, an experimental vaccine. And the, the lady's absolutely right. The public, whether it's US or UK, is being used as the trial um, as the trial for that vaccine. That is factual information and the MHRA's own web pages state this. The nurses are stating it. But they're also saying that many of their senior colleagues, many of the high level board people within the NHS have no idea that the vac vaccines they're pushing are experimental vaccines under the Black Triangle label. Um. Yes, indeed. Right. Well, look, uh, we were talking about full fact uh, during the opening segment on censorship. Uh, so let's have a look at uh, their latest information. And thank you very much to the person who sent me uh, the email that they uh, have produced with respect to COVID deaths. Um, and uh, this was from Ben, Ben at Full Fact, Ben Weich, if that's how you pronounce his name. He's a media officer. He joined Full Fact in February 2020. And this is what he, he was talking about. Uh, the Keir Starmer situation. So let's have a look at what he said. Uh, on a campaigning visit to Bath on Monday, Keir, Sir Keir Starmer was confronted by an irate pub landlord. First, the pub landlord argued that the average age of a person who died from COVID is 82 years and three months, whereas the average age of a death from other causes is 81 years. Uh, data from the Office for National Statistics largely supports this. But this doesn't mean that people dying of COVID in their early 80s were necessarily going to die soon of something else. Data shows that if you reach the age of 82 in the UK, you're actually expected to live for several more years. So, David, um, could you, first of all, define the term average for me? Because I don't understand this. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Where did they get him? <clears throat> Yeah, well, average is either mean, median, or mode. It's, it's, there's various ways of measuring it. Uh, the most, uh, the most 
uh, common one is uh, the arithmetic mean, which is you add up all the numbers and you divide by the number of items and you find an arithmetic mean of the figures. Um, if um, the average age of death, as he is now confirmed, of people dying with COVID is older than the average age of death for people dying most, most generally, that would would suggest that it's mostly the older part of the population that is that is vulnerable to COVID. Uh, it suggests that uh, that that people in in the the full flush of health really have very little to fear from COVID, and that uh, since we're not seeing a reduction in life expectancy, uh, we shouldn't expect to see a huge difference in all-cause mortality figures. And indeed, we don't. Uh, indeed, right. So let's move on with it then. Uh, what was next? Uh, he said his second argument was that the UK experienced a similar rate of death as recently as 2008 when lockdowns were not imposed. It's true that the last time the death rate was this high was in 2008, uh, but this largely reflects the fact that we've made progress in healthcare and in encouraging healthy behaviour over the last 13 years. For example, we smoke less as a country now than we did 13 years ago. So let's just remind ourselves of what the graph looks like in terms of uh, mortality. Uh, here it is, age standardized mortality. And you can see that in 2020, uh, it looked something around the region of 1,000 deaths per 100,000 people. Uh, and the last time that it was above that level uh, was in 2008. But in fact, it was above that level in every year from the turn of the century until 2008, and it was well above that level in every year from 1971 until 2000, according to this graph. Uh, and in fact, if you track it back to uh, 1939, you'll find that at no point was the death rate below uh, where we're at at the moment, and at no point uh, was, uh, and, and sorry, I was gonna say that in many points on that line, did we see similar upticks as we saw between 2019 and 2020? Uh, and so it goes on, David, because it gets even better. Uh, he says, uh, it could be argued that the pandemic has seen these improvements in uh, the mortality rate reversed. And this was despite national restrictions without the death toll, without which the death toll would have been higher. Now, he doesn't give any evidence to back this statement up. It's left like that. Uh, and of course, it's complete nonsense. He has no evidence to back that statement up. He can't have because there isn't any. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on that little segment? Well, this is it. I mean, it, he's claiming to represent some sort of factual based assessment, right? That's a lie, right? Oh, I mean, even the language, the last time the figures were this high, no, I'm... I'm in my 50s, right? So for 40 odd years of my life, they've been higher. The death rate, the all-cause mortality rate in the country has been higher for 80% of my life. So it's, the background is that 2020 was nothing special and actually quite good, right? And he's old enough to have been around where for most of his life, the death rates were higher. And at no point during any of that period did he raise an alarm or think it was unusual. He's trying to deceive people. Uh, but well, right? he, can't, they shouldn't, they, he can't be, David. Call it's anything to do fact. with facts. <laughs> yes, well, he's still trying to deceive people. Uh, so anyway, let's just end, end this little segment with this one. He said, people have a right to disagree, but people deserve all the facts in their proper context. 
so that they can make up their own minds. Well, I'm going to say very firmly here, we're not going to get the proper context from Full Fact. That's absolutely clear from this disgraceful little diatribe that he has put out. Where does that take us, Brian? Well, um, Full Fact can't put out the truth because they don't do the proper research into what the facts are. If you don't research what the facts are, you come up with these erroneous statements, which is uh, what the gentleman's done. UK Column will do some simple research with the help of some of our viewers. Uh, let's put this up on screen. Uh, this is a freedom of information response um, from the MHRA to a gentleman who asked some questions. Now, I know it's small on screen, so I'm going to help you out. I'll read a bit of the left-hand one. So it's a reply to a particular gentleman. And it says, thank you for your email dated the 19th of March 2021, where you requested the following information for the COVID-19 vaccines. And the next paragraph is what the gentleman actually requested. I request in spreadsheet or database format, e.g. comma separated values, the full body of all anonymized raw data with a level of details as close as possible to that one available for interactive drug analysis profile and related comma separated value files for all COVID-19 vaccines currently in use in the UK, especially to include for each event, but not limited to sex, age, date, reporter, report submission, route of administration, seriousness, system, organ, class. And the reply from the MHRA is we can confirm that the MHRA does hold this data. We intend to publish all suspected reactions reported in association with available COVID-19 vaccines in an interactive format as interactive drug analysis profiles, along with our adverse drug, uh, adverse, um, drug reaction summary that is published each week. The use of the interactive drug analysis profiles will enable users to view the data by categories of their choice. It then goes on to say, because we are going to publish this information in the future, we are not going to give it to you now. So this freedom of information clearly shows that the MRHA must be lying when it states that it is investigating adverse reactions because it has not assembled all the data. It has not released the data. So I, I don't know what to say well, anymore, Mike. The, the, the MRHA is clearly lying about whether there is proper compilation of data around vaccine adverse effects. Well, uh, the key thing here is, isn't it, that they, they are going to publish it at some indeterminate point in the future. When's that going to be? Is that going to be in two weeks, three months, three years, 10 years? We don't know. Uh, and so they're weaseling out of the Freedom of Information Act uh, on the basis of what? They don't specify. If they'd, if they'd said in this reply, well, we're going to publish this data on this date, and so we're not releasing at this point, yeah. this would have been fair enough. But the fact that they leave it completely open-ended and say, well, basically, you can't have it, um, well, they're trying to have it both ways, really. And we've got families who've lost relatives after that particular individual has had a vaccine telling us that, of course, they now know for a fact that MHRA is not investigating the deaths even listed on their own adverse reaction um, statistic data sheets. David, I, I have regularly got to the stage on UK Column News over the last year, maybe 18 months, when I simply uh, 
don't know how to put the message across because the scale of lying, falsification of data, cheating, uh, spin by the authorities is difficult to describe. Yes, and this, this is one where um, perhaps uh, an MP or some such person might be able to ask a question on behalf of uh, some of our viewers as to when exactly that data is going to come out. Because this, this idea, Mike's quite right, the idea that, uh, well, we're going to publish that uh, in the future, um, so we're not, that, that is an out to um, publishing under FOI. That's a recognised excuse under the Freedom of Information Act. But if it's some indeterminate date, uh, how does that differ from simply covering up the information? In practical terms, it doesn't. Uh, indeed. Now, uh, we've got some fantastic news. The Brit Awards 2021 is going to happen, and uh, we should all be extremely excited uh, because uh, this is happening on the basis of it being one of the uh, events that's part of the events research program. I'm sure everybody has heard about this. Uh, this is a government initiative. Um, so this, the Brit Award ceremony is going to go ahead with a live audience uh, at, uh, as the latest addition to the government's uh, events research program, which looks at how venues can restart large events and welcome crowds back safely this summer. So audience members will not be socially distanced uh, and they'll not be required to wear masks. Uh, they will be required to follow existing government guidance when traveling to the venue and to adhere to rules set out by the uh, event organizers. Uh, all attendees must have, and here's the kicker, a proof of a negative lateral flow test result in order to enter the venue. So what is this really about? It's uh, really about normalizing the process of uh, uh, immunity certificates, passports, whatever you want to call them. Uh, David and the Brit Awards is going to be part and parcel of that. Uh, it's how to manage uh, audiences, how to get audiences used to the idea of require, being required to take tests and have a, a passport in order to attend an event. Yes, and I see Eurovision is doing something similar, and uh, I hope everyone gets the point. The point is you only have free movement if you have the appropriate paperwork. Show us your papers, and your papers in this case involve your medical records, so it's a little bit more intrusive. Oops. He's tried. Yes. Uh, well, look, uh, even better news, uh, because we discovered today that cats' lives matter. Uh, so this is, uh, this is very key. Uh, this is because The Telegraph has published uh, this little article, Owners Warned Against Cuddling Their Cats After Kitten Dies From COVID. Um, and so what are they saying here? This four-month-old ragdoll died from pneumonia, believed to have been triggered by contracting the virus from its owner. According to scientists, uh, the cat developed severe shortness of breath a year ago and had to be put down at some indeterminate date after its condition deteriorated. Uh, a post-mortem found viral pneumonia and SARS-CoV-2, uh, the virus which causes COVID-19 in its lungs, says the Telegraph. Experts are now warning pet owners who have COVID-19 to avoid close contact with their cats until they've fully recovered. And they quote uh, the senior vice president of the British Veterinary Association who said, our advice to pet owners who have COVID-19 or are self-isolating with symptoms remains to restrict contact with their pets as a precautionary measure and to practice good hygiene, including regular hand washing. If your pet requires care, <clears throat> excuse me, wash your hands before and after any infection, uh, sorry, interaction with them and wear a face mask where possible, of course. Uh, but here's the key point. 
where are the dead cats? Just like there aren't any dead humans. Uh, this is not what the Telegraph said. This is what I'm saying because the streets are littered with the bodies of, of dead cats, aren't they? Actually, when you read down the article, you get to the key sentence, right? Forget the headline, owners warned is going to kittens dying from COVID. Professor Margaret Hosey from the Center of Virus Research at the University of Glasgow noted that it was speculation that COVID-19 had triggered the kitten's pneumonia. So the, I'm sorry, but the Telegraph here is getting a massive fake news badge because this was a disgraceful piece of yeah, propaganda. But Mike, they didn't do the research on that cat anyway, because I, I've been informed that that cat was smoking heavily for years. Right. Okay. I think we've lost David. Oh, have we? Sorry. This is, this is The Simpsons again. The Simpsons did this. House cat flu was, was the fake pandemic, right? They had, they had um, uh, the, the, the news anchor with the sign behind them that said apocalypse meow and, and deadly house cat flu was going to kill you and they were all terrified of the cats. Yeah. The Simpsons seem to be um, predictive programming. Indeed. Well, we can ask, where does all this nonsense come from? Well, of course, a lot of it's coming. We've got a little video clip, actually, Mike. Oh, do we? Yeah. Um, Which one is that? Uh, oh, yes. This yes, one right here. So uh, we're just going to put up a little clip to help explain where all the nonsense comes from. And of course, we're now getting people from within the circles of government explaining what, what the true capability and mindset and behaviour of their colleagues is. So interesting little interview clip with the BBC and Alan Duncan talking about his colleagues. And just looking at some of the uh, some of these extracts to which you refer, Jacob Rees-Mogg, he's a cheap nationalist, Nicky Morgan, not up to much, Michael Gove, unctuous freak, Philip Hammond, um, oh, it's quite a long quote that, I'll skip over that, uh, Mike, Mike, <laughs> Penning, oh, 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 Mike Penning, what a dumbo, <laughs> Nadine Dorries, mad, mad, uh, mad nad, um, James, not so cleverly, shameless neophyte. I, I just wonder, I mean, did, it, did, did you have seconds? I mean, I can see why the publishers were keen to publish it, but did you, did, did you have, was there a moment's thought where you thought, hmm, because I get that these were your authentic thoughts in the moment, and that's the joy in reading it, that kind of contemporaneous account, but did you think, hmm, you know, maybe some of these I'd like to have something to do with in the future, or maybe not? Look, no, I, I don't feel like, look, in the book, it blows hot and cold about Boris, because it's the same with everybody, you know, sometimes he's exasperating, sometimes he's brilliant, and I always pleaded with him to just knuckle down, be serious, and be brilliant. I have one regret, which is that um, uh, in the frustration uh, of the period, I used language which was um, perhaps excessively critical of Theresa May, where, you know, I was a total supporter, and I, it was frustration rather than criticism. I said, come on, you know, I felt she was being outgunned, badly treated, uh, being attacked by the party within the party, which was the ERG, and I just wanted her to, you know, just, just fizz up and go, but and she was very placid, and, you know, I, I found the introspective nature of her character very frustrating, because I wanted to rev her up to go out and do some political killing to defend her corner. Now, um, I, I also feel I, I perhaps was slightly excessively rude about Michael Gove. Um, so I, I have a... a, a, a have you made it up with him? But uh, actually, we, we have communicated since, actually. Um, what about Gavin Williamson, a, a venomous, no, self-seeking little shit? 
I think I think he behaved very badly about Michael Fallon. I think he was preaching too much as chief whip. Um, I know that a lot of people in the Ministry of Defence found him absolutely potty. And I'm sorry, I, I just think he was absolutely uh, doing things for himself with no adequate political foundation for doing a good job as a senior minister. Goodness and I, 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 I say what? the same about Priti Patel. who I, old up nothing I, person. Well, it's, I mean, that's, that, that, that's the least of it, really. I mean, it, it's a conduct, <laughs> I think, that matters. Right, the only thing that could make this conversation any more fun is if we had a trademark newscast quiz. So for me, that little clip encapsulates everything we've got wrong. We've, we've got a, a government, uh, an MP, discussing major character defects in his colleagues, including two prime ministers. Uh, we, we've got Boris Johnson, who one minute is supposed to be brilliant and the next minute is an idiot. And he's describing other people as, quote, little shits. So why should we be surprised that the, gov that the country's in meltdown at the moment when, when we've got uh, politicians who apparently think it's funny and amusing that we've got this calibre of people running the country? Do uh, catty lives matter, Brian? I'll sidestep that one. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, look, uh, let's let's come on now to uh, to this because Boris was uh, taking part in uh, Joe Biden's leaders' climate summit, uh, leaders' summit on climate. Sorry, yesterday, uh, and uh, well, it wasn't that one because that what's on screen at the moment must have been last year, uh, because this is uh, this is what he looked like, uh, and of course the message very firmly was it's all about the finance. Uh, so um, let's have a look at. One key quote here. I think what President Xi said uh, had had to say about harmony with nature was absolutely vital. Well, this is maybe true, but uh, what wasn't quite what President Xi had to say because President Xi was saying actually what we need is a people-centered approach, not an earth-centered approach. He said that uh, uh, there were common but differentiated responsi responsibilities between uh, first-world countries and so-called third-world countries. Uh, and he said that uh, the concerns of developing countries must be accommodated. And of course, the main thing that they're concerned about is that the Western world wants to remove the ability from them to use coal-fired power stations, which for them is really, a, a, you know, an existential threat. Um, so he called on China, uh, this is Boris, uh, to uh, give up uh, its intention to allow coal-fired production, uh, energy production, electricity production. Uh, because they're saying that they're going to continue to use coal until the 2030s at the earliest. Uh, and she had said, no, well, they're not going to give that up. They're going to con con continue producing coal-fired plants. Um, and uh, they're, going to, they're saying that uh, the Chinese saying that to move beyond coal requires more nuclear, more fusion research as well. And they, they're very much heading towards fusion. Um, but uh, Boris saying the multi-trillion dollar Glasgow Finance Alliance for net zero is the key thing that we've got to uh, got to be uh, moving towards. And the, this is really is the key point, isn't it, David? Because the Western narrative is very much, uh, in fact, for, for decades has been, you know, limited energy, whether that's the peak oil or the, the energy crisis of the 70s or whatever. Uh, so we've got to, you know, shut down production and, and be less productive and be, I don't know what, what we're going to be, uh, but we're certainly not going to be productive in any way uh, because uh, we've got to use windmills instead of uh, other mechanisms for producing the energy that we need. Um, 
and, and of course, the result of that is going to be the destruction of Africa. Destruction of Africa and um, the destruction of the West as well. If we don't produce, um, then poverty is what lies ahead. Um, poverty and decline, um, unless we are productive and, and efficient. Um, I see China put 38.4 gigawatts of new coal-fired power capacity uh, into use in 2020. Um, the idea that they're not going to have any of that still operating by 2030 is fanciful. They're going to ignore uh, the green agenda and they're going to continue to operate, uh, what was that you said, a people-centred agenda. Yeah, quite right too. Yes. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's head over to uh, Scotland and uh, Scottish election twenty twenty one is the BBC headline. S and P pledges wraparound childcare for families. What is wraparound Rapper childcare? Wraparound. Well, I'll, I'll illustrate that in just a moment. Um, the the SNP in their um, profusion of uh, free stuff and handouts that they've been promising, uh, basically every day for the past fortnight, uh, they've got around to children and they're coming after children. Um, so wraparound uh, childcare is um, basically childcare before school, childcare after school, childcare during the school holidays, uh, free breakfast, free lunch, free dinner, you name it. Uh, basically the state's going to be bringing up your children. Uh, they're talking about it as um, early, early years education for one-year-olds and two-year-olds. Now, we know that's a nonsense. We're just talking about childminding by the state, all paid for out of the taxpayer or money printing engine. Uh, and I was looking for an illustration to, to show what SNP wraparound childcare looks like. And I found a perfect illustration. Here we have Cara Snake. Um, and not only is he wrapped around the child, that he's hypnotizing the child and making sure that it thinks only what it's meant to think. And I think that's rather what we're going to be facing. Uh, yes, well, look, uh, I think we're more or less out of time uh, for today, but I, I want to end, uh, David, with a little bit of uh, commentary on culture wars um, and a bit of video here uh, with uh, Jonathan Miller. Yes, this is from, I think, the late 70s. Uh, it's an interview uh, uh, with Jonathan Miller and uh, Enoch Powell. And the, the general subject was Enoch Powell's views on immigration and the threat that immigration posed to the United Kingdom. And uh, Jonathan Miller, a darling of left, um, medically trained doctor, specialist in neurologist, um, Cambridge Footlights, and general public intellectual, uh, came back with uh, a counter-argument that uh, struck me as uh, very interesting indeed. I've got one question I want to ask. If, in fact, the... Um, the and I, I recognise what it is that, that worries you about the arrival... What worries me? Or that worries the people who you supposedly represent. Um, the, that worries the people of this country. All right, that worries the people of this country. That's then let's leave it at this moment. If you are worried, and they are worried, about the arrival of a group of people in the culture, uh, who, by reason of differences of behaviour, are going to represent a stress upon that culture. I'm very surprised that one of the other forms of immigration, one of the largest influxes that has ever occurred in the history of this island, mm -hmm. which has occurred in the last 25, 30 years, as a result of the introduction of antibiotics. It's the influx from the land of the dead, who are not usually recognised as, as such, 
an extraordinary proportion of people who are now allowed to live beyond ages which, as a result of diseases of the chest and cardiovascular system, they would not. You have recalled from another country, if you like, a very large group of people who, by virtue of their age, are throwing acute stresses upon the culture of the country, precisely because families find it very hard to live on very large numbers of occasions with old people for precisely the reasons that you are talking about, because they have different habits due to their age. Now, no one suggests, for example, that this population from the other side of the sticks are going to be given their fare and Chiron's pennies to return them because they are an inconvenience due to their cultural differences from the young group upon whom they now become a burden. What we are learning to do is to accommodate old people, or should be doing, although, in fact, in the next 30 years, they will represent perhaps an even greater danger to the structure of our society if we cannot intelligently accommodate these people that we have rescued from this other foreign country, from much further away than Jamaica or from India, and I just wonder how you feel about that sort of problem, because I feel that, that from the metaphor of that problem, we can learn how to handle other people who've also come from other countries. Well, you called it a metaphor, and of course it is a metaphor, uh, and a very striking and moving metaphor. Of course, they didn't come back. They were prevented from going there. And these people, and these people are our parents, our relatives, our own flesh and blood, part of the inhabitants of this island whose age structure and whose numbers for the reasons which you've explained have changed of course there are problems there uh, and there are problems which unless we were to forswear the use of antibiotics and so on something which is suggested by large numbers of doctors well, after the age of well, 60 I incidentally said, I... so uh, I, I was i was astonished by this um the large numbers of doctors were cited, unnamed, but large numbers of doctors were cited as, as, as calling for uh, the prohibition of the use of antibiotics in order to hasten the death of people over the age of 60. Jonathan Miller uh, passed away in 2019 at the age of 85. I wonder if uh, for the last 25 years of his life he had uh, avoided medical treatment. I suspect not. Um, he talked about people being allowed to live, uh, about the inconvenience and burden of the elderly, um, and how hard it is to, to live with old people. It was an astonishing um, example of how the mainstream, um, quote, liberal um, establishment views our people. It, I was simply astonished at the at the... Um, viewpoints, the worldview on display there. Uh, but it was the very last little comment that I thought was most telling uh, because, uh, as you say, that video, uh, that uh, interview done on the Dick Cavett show in the 1970s, uh, and the last comment from Miller was, well, the, the idea of withdrawing antibiotics is something that most doctors would agree with. If that was the situation, if, he, if he's right about that and that was the situation then, then what is the attitude today? Well, the attitude today, um, when it comes to COVID, um, one of the things we're getting from the testimony from the nurses is changes to CPR procedures, where do not resuscitate becomes the automatic default uh, for anyone over a certain threshold age. Um, that threshold age uh, varies 
45 has been mentioned, 60 has been mentioned, uh, 65 has been mentioned, but somewhere in there there's a point in which um, I'm afraid we're very sorry you're not worth the, you're not worth the bother. Indeed. It's interesting, isn't it? A gentleman called Harry Beckoff got to the age of 101 and uh, up until uh, his uh, mid-90s or late-90s, he was the oldest member of the Conservative Party. So uh, interesting how the Conservative Party's views have changed as that cull has taken place. Well, I think we're going to end at this, this point. So we just wanted to highlight that uh, the UK column website has been updated. I'm putting this label on it. Mike is uh, wincing. But of course, Mike and his team have done a brilliant job in producing a very streamlined UK column website. Uh, all of the information is there. And if you look at the top of your screen, I've just effectively clicked on the uh, audio and um, visual button. And uh, that's uh, highlighting the UK column news archive. So if you want to go back in time, that's where you need to go, but you do need to look at the other sections to find all the information. Right, but before you move on, I'm, I just I just can't uh, pass this by because, of course, this wasn't my work. Mainly, it was the work of a very kind gentleman called Tim, uh, who did the lion's share of the effort. And I've got to say thank you very much to Tim. It has been a real pleasure to work with him. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, we've put some uh, details about ourselves and the other people contributing to the UK column, which you can find on the about page. And I really want to bring in this, that it's the UK column community where we're encouraging people to get involved, to become subscribers with the UK column, get involved with the community, because that is where people are exchanging quality information and also working out what they can do and indeed they are doing things. Um, so this is uh, pretty important. So just highlight that. What can you do to support the UK column? What do you need to do if you value us and you want us to continue to broadcast? We need to become much more, uh, much stronger as an organization. We need to be able to investigate new re routes of putting the information out. And to do that, we need uh, more subscribers to come in and contribute to the UK column. My personal wish would be that, say, 10% of those 100,000 YouTube viewers now say, OK, we've seen enough. We want to support it. We're going to subscribe to UK column. Uh, if those 10,000 people came across, uh, we would be able to strengthen our position. We would certainly be able to counter I'm describing it as a pernicious attack on free speech by the British government, and I'm sure we can come out of it much stronger. David, any last comments? Yes, the, the attack that's come in is because we're being effective. And it's because that uh, also that we've, we've grown hugely uh, in the last year. Uh, the audience numbers have gone up tremendously. Um, and we're doing more, everyone's more active, and the whole UK column um, infrastructure is, is, is progressing, and uh, there's going to be a lot more in the next year. The thing we don't know is exactly which platforms will be thrown off of, what attacks will come in. Um, one of the reasons we want people to, to come and join us and be part of the community is so that, that you can always find out where we are, where we're broadcasting, what we're doing. There's going to be a lot more. 
We're going to want a lot more people involved. Um, we're going to be expanding and we want the audience to be as close as possible so that you know what's happening. And the place to do that is on the website and on the UK column community, uh, not through second, uh, secondhand information such as on YouTube, because that could be turned off at an instance, an instant, uh, and without any notice. Um, and then you might not be able to find us for a little while. We don't want that. We want you to know what's happening. We want you to be part of what's happening and uh, come and join us. Okay, excellent. Uh, last point is for those people who are going to London at the weekend. Well, the weekend's tomorrow, in fact, yes. isn't it? Uh, Friday's not my normal day. So for people going to London, we hope that uh, that gathering goes extremely well. And we wish you all the best. There are some things we can't do alongside producing the news, but we're certainly thinking of you. Uh, I would just say on a personal level, uh, I hope people won't be wearing anonymous masks uh, because I think many people find these rather frightening, in fact. And I think the calibre of the people going to London to express their unhappiness at what's happening in the country are really better than that. Uh, we show our faces. I think if you're making a point in the public, you should stand up as an individual, show your face and be counted. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.